0: you reach for a Bible and let's turn to the book of Daniel. We're going to read from Daniel chapter 2. We started this new evening series last week with Daniel 1. We're going to be doing Daniel 2 tonight. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, that's on page 884. Or if you want to find your way by Bible book, it's straight after the massive book of Ezekiel. You can't miss that one. Daniel chapter 2. And let's pray together. Gracious Father, in the same way that you opened the heart of Lydia of Philippi to pay attention to your words, may you open our hearts to do likewise. Uh, By your kindness, may we receive your word with eagerness to examine the truthfulness of the things we consider tonight. And may the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, be exalted, be lifted up tonight, we pray. We ask it in his name. Amen. So let's read Daniel chapter 2 together. Daniel 2 verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces "'and your house is turned into piles of rubble. "'But if you would tell me the dream and explain it, "'you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. "'So tell me the dream and interpret it for me.' "'Once more,' they replied, "'Let the king tell his servants the dream, "'and we will interpret it.' "'Then the king answered, "'I am certain that you are trying to gain time "'because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. "'If you do not tell me the dream,' There is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to gone out to put to death the wise men of babylon daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact he asked the king's officer why did the king issue such a harsh decree Arioch then explained the matter to daniel at this daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him then daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends hananiah mishael and azariah He urged them to plead for mercy from from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, "'Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons.'" He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Ariel whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time. And became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory In your hands he has placed mankind, and the beasts of the field, and the birds of the air, wherever they live. He has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, as iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then, King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. I had visions of looking up and you would all be away. (laughs) Glad you're still here. We do have time for a sermon, don't we? How do we know the things that we know? a good question to ask. Uh, there are basically two ways in this realm of epistemology, as it's called in its official way. How do we know the things that we know? Well, two basic ways. One, human discovery. Two, outside revelation. Human discovery is quite simple. These are things that we can discover and learn for ourselves. So we come to know things because we experience things. So we know what broccoli tastes like because we eat Broccoli. Uh, we know we shouldn't change light bulbs when the lights are on uh, because we've experienced what it's like to have burnt fingers. This, the same principle can be applied broadly. From the complexities of capillaries to the size of the sun, from the purpose of perspiration to the workings of precipitation, these things can be understood by human discovery. Following scientific methods, we can find out all sorts of things about... All sorts of things. Now, outside revelation, though, is completely different. There are some some things that we come to know that aren't actually the result of any real scientific process of repeatable and observable tests. Like how the world came into being. What life is all about. Uh, what is consciousness. Uh, we, as Christians, believe that these things cannot actually be uh, explained by reason or arrived at by mere human wisdom or mere human logic without the external input of the God who loves to show us stuff. Some people would say, though, that there is no such thing as outside revelation. I came across a website this week, the website for the Council of Secular Humanism, and looked at what they believe. They They have what they would call affirmations. Uh, We would call it a statement of faith. And the top two things that they state are these. One, we are committed to the application of reason and science, to the understanding of the universe, and the solving of human problems. That's human discovery. Second thing, we deplore. Isn't that a strong word? Deplore efforts to denigrate human intelligence, to seek to explain the world in supernatural terms and to look outside nature for salvation. See what they're saying? There's no such thing as outside revelation. There's no need for outside revelation. That, as a principle, is offensive to human intelligence. Human discovery is all we need. We put too much faith, so much faith in science... We can solve all the world's problems if only we have time to consider them. We can work it all out on our own. Lots of people in our city believe that. Now put that view alongside Daniel 2.28, which is really a key to unlocking this whole chapter. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries he reveals mysteries outside of our world there is a god who reveals mysteries now 30 times in this one passage we have verbs like reveal show or make known that tells us what this passage is all about and i want to walk through it just in two uh, using two headings number 1 god revealing what people cannot know and number 2 god revealing what people really need to know okay Number one, God reveals what, what people can't know. What is a mystery? A mystery is something we do not know. It's something that baffles us. It's something that we can't quite understand or explain. That's King Nebuchadnezzar's experience in Daniel 2. Why? Well, verse 1 tells us he's having a bad dream. This guy is the ruler of the known world at this time. So everything's under his control effectively. He's that mighty. And yet he can't sleep. He doesn't know what this dream means. And verse 2 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar turns to human discovery to try and figure it all out. And in verses 2 to 5, we see even the confidence of human wisdom as he brings in these enchanters and astrologers, etc., into his presence It's not so much a scene from Hogwarts as a scene from 10 Downing Street, really. This effectively is his cabinet. I'm not saying George Osborne's a magician. I'm just saying these men are the king's cabinet. Verse four, moving swiftly on. shows us how confident they were to answer the king's query. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. That's confidence right there. But here's the thing. This freaks them out. Nebuchadnezzar won't tell them he won't tell them what the dream is. It's as if he says, Okay, if you are as good as you say you are, you tell me what I've dreamt and then interpret it. Now they panic because they don't know the answer. And if he gives them something to work with, sure, they can they can they can maybe figure out a best guess or or somehow try and at least dupe the king and pull the wool over his eyes or something like that. But but that's not what he does. He doesn't tell them a thing. And because they are incapable of answering him, then that exposes the limitations of human wisdom, even as the sole means of knowing. Now, I didn't know this until last this past week, but did you know, maybe some of our young people are interested in this, or if you're interested in a wee change in career, you can pursue a career in futurology. Futurology. Apparently, I didn't know this, banks and super brands across the world are spending billions every year on these futurologists, scientists, social scientists, who ponder the possible, the probable, and the preferable futures in markets and spending. But here's what Ian Pearson, the futurologist of BT, says, accuracy is impossible for all but the most trivial questions. See what he's saying? He's talking about the limitations of human discovery. We don't know what the future holds. I bet he doesn't even know what his wife's cooking him for tea when he's going home. This is the same with Nebuchadnezzar's advisors. Verses 10 and 11 tell us, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among men, they say. Well, by their own admission, they're testifying to A, their own uselessness, and B, the uselessness of their pagan gods that they bowed down to and sacrificed to. What a picture of futility. Uh, We don't know what you dreamt, and we don't have any contact with our pagan gods. It's no wonder that the king goes ballistic and orders the execution of his entire cabinet. Here's the problem. Daniel and his three friends are included in that number because they've qualified remember at the end of chapter one they've qualified to work in the king's service and they hear about the king's order from none other than the executioner (laughs) that must have been a wee fright what does Daniel do with wisdom and tact it says he buys some time from the king claiming that he'll interpret the king's dream now where does he go where would you go in that situation where would you go if if your own wisdom personal wisdom and knowledge failed you uh, to a library to some textbooks to a psychologist to a futurologist who would tell you what the dream probably was no you go to the God who reveals what people cannot know on their own. And that's exactly what Daniel did. Daniel turns to outside revelation, as verse 17 says. He turns to God in prayer, trusting that God will tell him what he needs to know in order that he and his friends and maybe others might not be executed. And look in verse 19, we see Daniel's confidence in God's revelation. In verse 19 we read during the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision and Daniel praised the God of heaven. So he goes to he goes home finds his friends calls a prayer meeting essentially and says let's pray to the God of mercies let's let's pray that God would reveal this to us and be our rescuer in this situation and he does. And the reason why Daniel does that is, is because he knows God to be the God who reveals mysteries. And that's what God does. He reveals, the dream to, he reveals what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was and the interpretation of it. And that's why we read that Daniel praised the God of heaven. Why? Because he didn't work it out for himself. It wasn't some grand human discovery that he made. It didn't come to him by human discovery. It came by outside revelation. And look at what he praises God for. Verse 20, that wisdom and power belong to God. They are his. He is so powerful that he's able to change seasons and to change people. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons, sets up kings and deposes them. And verse 21 continues, he's so wise that wisdom, it says, is said to dwell with him. But not only does wisdom dwell with him, he's generous in giving it. He's generous in giving knowledge and wisdom to people, even revealing deep and hidden things that are to us impossible to know. The the reference to light in there tells us that light dwells with him. The illumination of all kinds of things lies with the God of heaven, not in human discovery. And friends, I want us to see tonight, this is what Daniel 2 tells us, that God, God hasn't stopped revealing his wisdom and his power. This God of infinite wisdom speaks to simple humanity through his Son and through his written word, the Bible. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the whole universe. So through God's word and through God's son, we have a wonderful revelation of the God of the universe so that we can know him and respond to him. What then is God revealing as he gives us his word and as he sends his son into this world? Well, the apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 1 that he gives us a clue here when he tells us what he was commissioned to do. He was commissioned to present the word of God in its fullness and he calls it the mystery. There's that word again. That has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed. That's shedding light on. The, uh, disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What an incredible thing for God to reveal! That is an amazing statement. He is revealing Christ to us, who is life and glory. And yet we seem so fixated on figuring out life all on our own. We had a family round for dinner a couple of months ago, and round the dinner table we had their kids with us, and they were, they were plying us with riddles. Uh, like this. I have a tongue but cannot taste. I have a soul but cannot feel. What am I? I'm just sitting there saying, Please just tell me. Put me out of my misery. I'm a numpty when it comes to these things. Just tell me. They're like, Shall we tell you? I'm like, Yes. My wife's sitting there saying, No, I can figure it out. Let me figure it Wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. Okay? It's a shoe, by the way. You got it, didn't you? Some of you knew. I didn't. I'm a tube. Listen, the secular society is wrong. We cannot figure out this world and this life on our own. We are accused of arrogance for claiming what we claim about the Christian faith. But man, how pompous is that? We rely on outside revelation. It's no use saying, just no, just wait, just wait. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. No, 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 no. Just tell me. Tell me now, tell me now so that I can know more and so I can praise you as I ought. The God of heaven who reveals mysteries. God has been pleased, brothers and sisters, friends, to grant us knowledge and understanding to reveal to us the greatest mysteries you could ever comprehend. Of who he is and who we are and what he's done about the gulf that exists between us and between him. When in love he sent the Lord Jesus into this world to die for our sins and restore us to himself. The mystery of the gospel itself, the good news of what God has done, has been revealed to us, been disclosed now. Light has been shed on it so that we are not left without wisdom and understanding. He's granted it to us as a gift. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, this is such good news for you. This tells you that you don't need an IQ of 325 in order to understand who God is and what life is all about and how you can know him for yourself. You just need to be humble enough to respond to the word of God concerning his son, the Lord Jesus, and say, Lord, show me what I can't know for myself and help me to respond to it rightly by confessing my sin, by putting off the self-reliance and building up my own little kingdom And let me just trust in you entirely. Receive this gracious revelation of who you are as a gift. And brothers and sisters, if you're here tonight, you're a Christian. This is how we grow, you understand, by increasing in our knowledge of God in the Bible. And I wonder how many of us are neglecting this means of grace in our lives daily. We want to grow in our understanding and knowledge of the mysteries that God has gone to great lengths to reveal to us how silly it is of us to think that we can get through a day on our own without a consideration of what God is saying to us through his word. Are we guilty of the sins of godless people who think that somehow they can make it through a day and a week and a month and a life on their own? Well, we must confess that. Because it's prideful and foolish. And we must read it and love it. And memorize it and share it and talk about it with other people. And love it. That's the first thing. Praise God, he reveals to us what people cannot know. Doesn't leave us to our own human devices or human discovery. He shows us through outside revelation who he is. Now here's why. God reveals secondly what people need to know. This really deals with verses 24 to the end of the chapter. Some people are full of useless information. Not God. Not God. The interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream is given by God because it's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar needs to hear so when Daniel approaches the king verse 29 tells us that God showed Nebuchadnezzar what was going to happen in the future and Nebuchadnezzar needs to know and needs to hear that his kingdom and earthly kingdoms will pass away the revelation itself is in verses 31 to 35 where we have Daniel telling the king that he saw in his dream a large statue with its head of gold chest and arms of silver belly and thighs made of bronze legs of iron and feet a mixture of iron and clay All those things have some value to them. And yet it's toppled by the least valuable thing in the dream, a stone, a rock. That somehow, a rock that somehow grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth. And then we have the interpretation of this dream in verse 36. It starts well. Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. He's like, nice one. Daniel says the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory how gracious but the other segments of the statue represent successive kingdoms so gold heads the common interpretation is that this is the Babylonian empire silver the Medo-Persians with Cyrus coming we'll see that in the book of Daniel bronze the Grecian empire with Alexander the Great and iron the Roman empire But what's the first? We don't need to be caught up in understanding all those things. We just need to understand kingdoms pass away. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. That's exactly what God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know. And now we understand why he can't sleep. Because as you'll see in chapter 3, all his life he's wanted to build a big, bright, dazzling gold statue of himself so that people could bow down to it and worship it so that it would be a lasting symbol of his dazzling reign, a memorial for the world of this awesome ruler. But his kingdom will be blown from the pages of history like dust from an old book. There will be successive kingdoms. All earthly kingdoms will pass away. Some of you will have heard of Shelley's poem, Ozymandias. It tells the story of a traveller who comes across the remains of a statue in the desert. And there are two legs sticking out of the ground. A head that lies half sunken in the sand. And there's a little pedestal beside it which has an inscription saying, My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, you mighty in despair. What does Shelley describe for us? What does a traveller see? Nothing but sand for miles and miles in other words there is nothing left of this kingdom that in itself is a symbol of all human authority actually whether global powers or individual personalities sometimes it looks like this renown will last forever but it won't even ask yourself what remains of the mightiest empire of them all the roman empire well not much well, sure, we've benefited a whole bunch from roads and aqueducts and all sorts of ducts, and but not much. They don't rule the known world. Some might say that's America, the United States. Well, who's to say that's going to last for long? Who will be the next kingdom? earthly kingdoms the lord is telling nebuchadnezzar will pass away this is what nebuchadnezzar needed to know he might feel powerful the people around him may enter his presence with oh king live forever but his kingdom is as fragile as the next one and the one after that only god's kingdom lasts forever that's the point only god's kingdom will last forever and that's what's represented by this rock this stone what do we learn about the kingdom of God from this stone or from this rock? Well, it's an indestructible kingdom. Verse 34 tells us it's not man-made. It was not, it's, it's cut out, but not by human hands. The implication is this is something that God has, God has cut out. This is something that is God's kingdom. And verse 44 says God's kingdom will never be destroyed. It's indestructible. It's an everlasting kingdom, as verse 34b tells us. It's the thing that strikes the feet of the statue and topples it, breaking everything else to pieces. Verse 44 explains that it crushes all kingdoms, but it itself will endure for how long? Forever. Not only that, verse 35b says it will be a universal kingdom. That's what it means when it says the rock that remains grows into a mighty mountain. And all of this takes place despite the seeming weakness of the rock. It doesn't seem like much. It doesn't seem like it's worth much compared to the gold or the silver or the bronze or even the iron. And this too is what Nebuchadnezzar needed to know. Why? Well, because Nebuchadnezzar was outside of God's kingdom. He wasn't humbling himself before the real ruler of the world... And as this text highlights, judgment comes on those who are outside God's kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar will be swept away. By revealing this, God has given Nebuchadnezzar effectively a chance. And that's the point of what God reveals to us, isn't it? The action Nebuchadnezzar should take is to humble himself and acknowledge who really rules the world. And God says, My kingdom will be established. It will grow and grow until it fills the whole earth and it will last forever. So, everybody listen, take heed and change sides if you need to. Let me ask you are you a part of this kingdom of God? How do you know? Well, it's simple. Ask yourself the question, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Over and over again, God makes a, we see in God's word, God makes a person's response to Jesus, the single determining factor in whether or not a person is included in that kingdom. 500 or so years after Daniel, God revealed the kingdom even more clearly We sent when he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to install the kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. In the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus kick off his preaching campaign with these words. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Turn away from your sin and believe what I am preaching. Listen to my words, he was saying. This is good news. The kingdom of God was coming with his coming. That's what he's telling us. Or when the angel Gabriel told Mary that she was going to give birth to this son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he said to her, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will what? Never end. Never end. His kingdom lasts forever. Now, when the Romans crucify him, it looks like it's not going to last forever. It looks like he's the one who's toppled and broken to pieces. But God vindicated the Lord Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead. And when he rose, his disciples asked him in Acts 1, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times and dates. The Father has set by his own authority. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Sounds like the stone in the story, doesn't it? Sounds like the rock in the dream. His first coming, the Lord Jesus Christ, was in humility. In all appearances, he did not look that impressive in the world's eyes. But he's coming again in mountainous might. And the people of the earth must be ready. In in a picture of the end in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 15, we read, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Friends, there is only one outcome in the end. There is only one kingdom that endures forever. And Christ is the king of that kingdom. It is the Father's good pleasure to reveal this kingdom to us and to give it to us. The question tonight is, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, will you receive it? Will you believe it for yourself? Jesus came to reveal what we need to know that the little kingdoms that we are building for ourselves, you don't need to be the ruler of any nation to be establishing a self-rule. You could be ruling your own life by rejecting God and deciding how you're going to live on your own. Well, that's just as much of a sinful thing as Nebuchadnezzar. But God sent his son into this world to tell us that even those individual personal kingdoms will be broken to pieces there is only one kingdom that lasts forever and it's the Lord's. And we must give ourselves in humility before him recognizing that this king made it possible for us to come. This king was enthroned. We read about that at the start of the service. Enthroned in heaven. But before that he was enthroned on a cross. He went to a cross. Sure it looked like weakness but he was defeating the greatest enemies that we have ever faced. Satan, sin and death. And his resurrection is proof positive that he won. He conquered. And he has granted those who believe right now some of the benefits of that kingdom. It's the inauguration, the start of that kingdom. We're seeing it. That's why you're here. People are believing the gospel. But it will come in all its fullness. And the question is, are you ready for that? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sins on the cross so that you might receive this kingdom for yourself? Because he's building an unshakable kingdom. And he will tolerate no rival. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God has grown. But it has not yet finished that's why in these few moments i've been encouraging those among us who are not christians to repent and believe the good news but we must understand with the same urgency the need to share this news this kingdom has grown and grown as it was uh, prophesied if you like in this dream of nebuchadnezzar's revealed to us but it is not finished growing that means our task of making disciples is not yet finished. Out of the 7 billion people on our planet, 2.9 billion people have never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's awful. When we think of how great a salvation and how great a revelation God has given us through his Son, that is awful. And I wonder if we feel the weight of that. I wonder if we feel the weight of it and then are moved by the urgency of doing something about it be that in some nation that we have never been to and might be a little bit scared and in go into it or be that in our own city where about 96 97% of people do not know the gospel we must tell people this great news we have inherited this kingdom and are inheriting this kingdom, but not just to enjoy it for ourselves, but to pass on the good news and be a part of this, the growth of this kingdom. Because God is still at work through us, his servant, to reveal these mysteries, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory and how we pray this time next year there will be many more sitting here rejoicing in the same thing singing blessing and honor and glory and power be into the ancient of days and you know what this is true even in the face of persecution whether that's the marginalizing of Christians like us or the killing of Christians like us, no matter what, let us be those who trust in the sovereign Lord who gives wisdom and power, who changes times and seasons, who deposes kings and raises up others. We worship, we love, and are filled by the God of heaven who reveals mystery. In the quietness, please respond in your own way to the message we've been hearing tonight. If you would like some help, there are some pointers on screen. You're welcome to use those if you like. Use this time in the next couple of minutes just to pray to the gods who reveals mysteries. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Let's stand and worship him. In song and without giving. Uh, we will take up our offering as we sing these two songs together. Let's stand and rejoice.